kids are going downstairs. Uh, some ways, this has been a difficult few days for me, but and for others as well. Today's text is uh, incredibly appropriate. But I'm going to need God's strength in order to go through it. And so, Tom, can I just ask you to pray? Uh, just, just, just pray that God would speak. Samuel 23 and 24. But before we go there, I just want to read Jesus in his farewell sermon in John 14, 15, and 16. He concludes that sermon with these words. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. The NIV translates that, in this world you will have trouble. The, the net translation, the online translations translates it this way, in the world you have trouble and suffering. And the New Living Translation says it this way, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Listen again to what Jesus said. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So true. That David's life in 1 Samuel, and even what we've been reading, so exemplifies these words. So with those words tucked in the back of your brain, Let's begin by taking a peek at what going on in 1 Samuel chapter 23 and 24. Okay? Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? 
that David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, and for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and, and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow, so David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he came down with the ephod in his hands. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering the town with his gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to, to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he, he said to Abathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. And then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my man into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country, in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Well, we've got to remember where David is before we move on. We've got to, we've got to stop and think, okay, where is David? David, remember, was taken from his family. According to, first, according to Samuel, the prophet, uh, that taking is, was, a, was, in a sense, an enslavement. He was now enslaved to the king. Of course, he was in the palace, so things looked pretty good. But then he's driven by the king, by the spear being thrown at him. Not once, not twice, but three times. He's driven from his family, his wife, so he's not there, and he's literally been on the run. Most scholars think that we're not talking days or months, we're talking years on the run. Kind of feeling. Josh, I think you got a picture um, somewhere here. Kind of fuzzy. Jump to the next picture. It's kind of the beautiful paradise, right? That's where David is. That's the, uh, uh, at the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, and then all through chapter 24, he's in the wilderness of Engedi. Desert. Rocks. Crags. He's sleeping on the rocks. He's, he's hiding in caves. This is him, and now there's 600 men, as we just read. Life isn't so good. And, and as we say, holy, 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 and sometimes it's hard to see God because of the darkness. There's that, that line in there. David is in that place of darkness. And, and why is David here? Well, partially big time because Saul's trying to kill him, but he's, we're told that he's, he's in Judah. The prophet Gad says, leave the stronghold last week, and I want you to go to Judah. Well, it happens to be that Keilah, the city of Keilah, is in Judah. It's a, it's a, a town that's kind of set apart, and so it's easy to attack. Probably, likely, most likely during the time of harvest. 
And so the Philistines are going to come and they're going to pillage this place. They worked all year and now the harvest is there and they're going to pillage this place. And where is Saul the king who's supposed to protect them from the Philistines? We don't know. But David hears of this and cries out to God and says, God, should we go and take care of them? Should we protect them? Him and his 600 men. And God says, go ahead. And understandably, his men go, David, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable in Judah. We don't like the fact that we're in Judah. Saul's chasing us, and we can be seen here. But now he wants to go attack the Philistines. And so David, in his, as a gracious leader, he prays again. And God, in his kindness, answers him again. He says, yes, David, go and attack Keel. Or not attack the Philistines and save Keel. And that's exactly what David does. It's interesting that God had sent David to Judah prior to this, and in his grace, he spared the city. And then after all of that, David goes, God, will they turn me in? And God says, yeah. Now, okay, just think through his life. Think through where his home is. He's, he's, he's sleeping on the rocks. Now he's, we're very clearly, he graciously intervenes and, and, and saves the city, and now the city is prepared to turn him in. Betray. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed, but it hurts. It's hard. And I know some of your stories, some of you have felt that far deeper than I ever have. It's painful. And here's David betrayed on top of everything else. The darkness has got to be hard. But in all of that, I want you to notice that the key passage, the key idea in this section that we just read is that David inquired of the Lord. Not once, not twice, but three times. And God answers him every time very clearly. That's God's grace. We think of Saul in chapter 16, verse 14. Listen to the words of Scripture. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. In chapter 18, verse 12, we read these words. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. We will read in chapter 28, verse 6. And when Saul had inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. And God is using all of those things to speak to David. Yes, David is on the run. Yes, life is dark. Yes, life is hard right now. But God is with him. And we're told that at the very end of that passage that we read, every day Saul was chasing after him. God did not give him into his hand. The final sermon of Jesus that we touched on at the beginning of the sermon, in that same sermon, Jesus says, I promise I will not leave you as orphans. He's left the Spirit with us. 
We're in the midst of what? A world filled with trouble and suffering, and God is with us. What's striking about this passage in chapter 23, when we just finishes, when Saul hears that David has escaped to Keilah, where does Saul go? He doesn't go to Keilah. He continues to seek after David. Where does David go? David remains in the strongholds in the wilderness. He saves Keilah. God is with them, but he's still in the wilderness. Hang on to that thought. Let's carry on. Let's start reading from verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Zipha, Horish, and Jonathan Saul's son rose and went to David and Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained in Horish, and Jonathan went home. This kind of strikes me as powerful. Saul is, with all his men, is searching diligently day after day after day, trying to find David, 600 men, in a camp, and Jonathan kind of meanders in the camp. It just, to me, it's just like, oh yeah, God's with them. Well, what does Jonathan do there? Did you notice what Jonathan does when he gets into the camp? Jonathan is, we're told, strengthen him. Let's read those words. Strengthen his hand in God, verse 16. But how did he do that? Verse 17. He says, don't be afraid. <clears throat> and what does he say? Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Be happy. Is that what he does? No, he says, don't be afraid. And then go on, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Why will the Saul not find you? Because you're going to be king. Why does he know he's going to be king? Because that's what God had said to him. God had made that promise very clear. He says, not only that, Saul, my father, knows this in verse 17. Chapter 16, David is anointed to be king by the prophet Samuel. At that point, David knows that God has said, you will be king. But every once in a while, he needs to remember the promise. What's striking is, it's not only David that knows that. Look at chapter 4, 24, verse 4. And the men of David said to him, here's the day which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. And you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Literally, his men are saying, David, here's your chance to take out Saul. We're going to get there. But, but he says, this is what God said to you. You'll be protected from your enemy. Abigail in chapter 25 will say something similar. After uh, 2 Samuel chapter 3 will say something similar. God had made it very clear to David that he would be king. And so what's Jonathan doing? Jonathan simply saying, David, this is what God has said. Don't be afraid. Trust me. Do 
Many of you have, have done this very thing with me. At critical times, you've spoken God's word into my life. You've reminded me of what God has said, and you've allowed me to take the next step. You've strengthened me in the Lord by sharing what he has said with his brothers. There is no better way to strengthen someone than say, you know what, this is what God says. I know life is hard right now. And I don't understand all that's going on, but, I, but let me tell you what God has said. I need to hear, I need to hear this. You need to hear this from each other. We, we need this. Jonathan's a faithful friend, and by God's grace, Jonathan finds David in a way that Saul can't find David. And by God's grace, Jonathan simply reminds David of the promises of God. I love that little portion of Scripture. What's fascinating is the city of Keilah betrays David, and we're going to see the Ziphites betraying Jesus. And in the midst of that, you have a faithful friend that God gives David. His name is Jonathan. What's striking is this is the last time we'll see Jonathan. Let's carry on. Start reading from verse 19 of chapter 23. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul of Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds of Horeb? On the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon, and come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire, come down. And our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Please just stop there. Saul is such a hypocrite. He's claiming God, God has given David into my hand. Uh, may, may God have compassion on you for turning him in. <coughs> Saul all along, David's supposed to be the next king. That's God, what God has said. Strikes me, it's just so odd, so, so sad. Verse 22, go make, make yet more sure, know and see the place where the foot is, and who has seen him there, for has told me that he's very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides. And come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he's in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose, and they went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabia to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told so. So he, he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon, Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, while Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come down. Come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place is called the Rock of Escape. And David went up there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. I just have a picture of this area. David is, David is, David's like running away. And, and, and David's at the tip of the mountain, but on this side. And Saul's at the tip of the mountain, but on this side. And, there's literally only three feet between them. All he has to do is take another step. Oh, there he is! 
some people come along and just, by chance, uh, the Philistines are raiding us, so would you come and uh, take care of things and he has to leave. And Tom had maybe a better picture of the old cartoons that were running around the mountain really close, getting closer, 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 just as a dog would grab them. All the Philistines are attacking. Again, just by chance. Not really. Remember verse 14. God did not give him into his hand. Why? God had made a promise that he would be king. These Ziphites who turned David in are, are his own flesh and blood. These are people from the land of Judah. Think they'd be on David's side. Then we are told that as Saul goes off to fight the Philistines, what does David do? He remained in the strongholds of the Gideon. When Jonathan in verse 18 goes home, David remained at Horish. David's situation is not changing. Everybody else seems to get to go home. Chapter 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, verse 1, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. He came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and David went in to relieve himself. Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him. See, and he is the Lord's anointed. And so David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and let, left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men? You say, Behold, David seeks you harm. Behold, this day your fathers have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand to the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, may you, may, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you. Will you hunt my life to take it? May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. For my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. For my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? 
After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? Lord, there will be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it, and plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you. But you have declared this day that you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me, for the Lord put me into your hands. If a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. But now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. David swore this to Saul. And Saul went home, but David and his men went up and strong. Quite the story, eh? Again, just happens. What a chance. Providential. God-directed chance. 600 men are hiding in a cave in those rocks that we saw back there. And Saul meanders in. He's got to go to the washroom. Takes off his robe lightly. Does his thing. But David is mad and one. This is it. God has given you the opportunity to put him to death. All of this running, all of this hiding, all of this darkness will be gone, and we can all go back to our families. And you got to admit, it looks like God has done that. David goes, No way. I'm not going to seize and grab the kingdom that God has given me in my own strength really what he's saying. I'm going to wait on the Lord. Now that, that had to be hard. Because in the back of his mind he's thinking, if I could kill this guy, then I could go back home. As I listen to Saul, he's weeping. Don't, please, please don't always don't understand tears to be repentance. Sometimes they are. Sometimes all they are is tears. Saul is not repenting. He's many the truth. He's kind of cornered. He's got a place he has to. But Saul will continue to pursue David. We're going to see this. He has to repent. Then Saul goes home, and David and his man go to the stronghold. As I read this, I can't help but think of Jesus because he's in the wilderness. What happened to Jesus? He's, he's, he's tempted by the devil. The devil's using scripture saying, this is, this is it. And he can forego the, the suffering that he's supposed to forego. He's supposed to go through. And he, he can just turn that in and go, you know what? I'm just going to do this. And, and, and it has to be tempting. Jesus says, no way. And David says, no way. 
marvel. And how when David cries out to God, God hears him. When David needs to be strengthened God, he hears God's promises. And, and as David is in, in the darkest point of his life up until this place, God protects him. You see this just woven through this, this story. But yet God doesn't remove him from the wilderness. Saul goes home, Jonathan goes home, David remains with the Lord. I don't know where you're at in life, but as I read this, I'm going, oh my goodness. This... In this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, there will be suffering. In this world, there will be trouble. But we still have a God. Our prayers. He's given us promises that will speak and strengthen us, and who protects us as we journey through this wilderness. These are good words. These are good words for us. These are good words for all of us. As I puzzled over this whole section. I, I asked some questions. How did David do that? Why? Why? I mean, somebody cuts me off on Deerfoot. I want to cut them off. I've been guilty of throwing people kisses. Just, just, just guys. Okay, I won't cut them off, but I'll be really nasty next. <laughs> David has them. Why doesn't he kill them? I think David understands Jesus' words a thousand years earlier. But in this world, there will be troubles. How did he not crumble? How did he not go after Saul? I think the Psalm 27 that he wrote, I don't know when he wrote it, but this is what he says. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This was David's heart cry. David wasn't after the throne. David's goal in life wasn't, I got to be king. David's goal in life was to be in the temple and to stare of the, at the beauty and the wonder and the glory of God. That's what he wanted. When he went to bed at night, he says, God, I, I want to see you. I want to know you. And, and, and Lord, I want your glory to just, just, just sprinkle and, and scatter over this entire earth. You read the Psalms, that's what he's doing. That was his heart's cry. It wasn't about a kingdom. It was about God's kingdom. That's what he wanted. <laughs> and when, when Saul's there, he could kill him so he could have the throne. He goes, no. 
It's about not, it's not about me, it's about this, this is about the Lord. And this the Lord has anointed him and, and the Lord will fulfill his promise. I'm gonna wait on the Lord. I'm gonna trust him. It was fascinating when he writes Psalm 27 to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When he says earlier that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, remember David is the one who says, Oh, God doesn't have a house. I need to build him a house. He doesn't have a temple. I need to build him a temple. And God says, no, you won't. Your son will do that. And so David doesn't have a house of the Lord to go to. He doesn't have a temple to go to. There's a tent. I think David is looking ahead to the future, to a city that is eternal. And he says, I can't wait till I'm there and I see you, God, on the throne. Drives him. Drives him. That's why he cries out to God, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, hear my prayer, answer me. That's why he, he, he gains strength from the promises of God. That's why he doesn't crumble in the wilderness. He knows that God will protect him. Because he knows someday that's where he'll be. When Jesus says to us, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We put our head on the pillow at night. Are we longing for the good things of this earth? Or are we longing to someday gaze and behold the glory and the wonder of this world? Lord, I love you. I, I know not how people live life without you. I, I really don't. truth is, Father, this is a, a difficult world to navigate, to live in. And you, by your grace, allow your children, your church, your flock, your people, your sons and daughters cry out to you and you hear our prayers and you answer us. So open your book and, and we see what you promised us. And we're strengthened by it. And as we navigate this world, you have and you will continue to protect us. That someday we can behold your face, see your beauty, and eternity. <laughs> Lord, I love you. Thank you that you loved us first and most in your name. This morning, like we do each week, we gather around the table. And as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, I will serve you, but let's come not alone, come together, because as we become Christians, we become part of the family. We need each other. And, and, and as we gather around the table, we stop to remember what he's done. How his body was broken and put to death on our behalf, how his blood was shed so we might have forgiveness of sins. We're called to remember that. 
And we're called to proclaim this until he's come. And so, we come as groups. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to join us. Let's remember.